0: Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to have chief business officers reflect on their careers and offer personal examples of how they have navigated difficult situations and learn from their experiences as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. My name is Megan Strand, your host today, and I'm so excited to be joined by Mary Lou Merck, Vice President of Finance and Administration at Furman University. Hello, Mary Lou. Good morning, Megan. So you've been with Furman since 2003. You've had three professional CBO roles throughout your career. Can you tell us the story of how you landed in higher education? Sure.
1: Well, I, like many others in our profession, stumbled on higher education. Uh, When I graduated from college, I worked in a CPA firm for five years. And then I was invited back to my alma mater to work. Uh, by uh, an accounting professor who had been my mentor in college and who had then become the CBO at my alma mater. So I stumbled on it, and I will tell you that um, everyone I know stumbled on these jobs. Uh, John Walda, who's the president and CEO of Nakubo, oh. often talks to college graduates. He sits on boards throughout the industry, and he goes to student unions and asks business majors, you know, have you ever thought about becoming a chief business officer in higher ed? And he has yet to have anyone tell him yes. (laughs) So we have to do something about that. These are great roles. It's just not something you think about, I think, when you're in college.
0: When you first started down the path of becoming a CBO, what aspect was most of your job was most challenging. You had gone from being a CPA to a CBO. How, how did those worlds differ to you?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the hardest part of these jobs technically is the accounting and the finance side. And many of us came up through the controllership. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that part wasn't as hard. Getting to know the facilities management, HR, and especially IT were challenging. Um, a lot of it is common sense. Most of it is hiring good leaders in those areas and moving obstacles out of their way. But it takes a little while to get used to it when you've actually been just kind of used to being on the finance
0: side. How did you address that challenge and and get yourself up to speed? Who did you turn to for advice or resources?
1: You know, if you're lucky enough to have good leaders in those positions, when you take a CBO role, you really just need to listen to your staff and they will tell you how to get professional education Many times, if you go to conferences that are specifically um, directed towards plant or IT, you won't understand all of it, but you'll start to understand the concepts and you'll understand the people who are in those roles, and it makes the, the leaders in those roles feel like you care about them, and they'll be even more willing to share um, y- you know, the expertise that you need. Um, and the Kubo is a great source as well, because the, the annual conferences have become much more diverse, not just concentrated on on the financial aspects of our jobs
0: so uh, throughout your career, you went from from c p a to c b o and had all of this sort of diverse skill set that you you needed to develop. What would you say outside of the accounting and finance piece, what skill set have you relied upon most? throughout that remainder of your career to date?
1: You know, it's not the technical skills, Megan. I think it's the soft skills. Mm. It's the leadership and the communication, the negotiation. Those kind of skills will serve you no matter what issue you're dealing with.
0: And how, how did you, was there anything you did specifically to develop those communication skills or those leadership skills? Well, you
1: know, there are all kinds of good leadership training Um, courses out there. A lot of it, though, is you just got to get the experience. And the same with communication. Um, Some communication styles work for some groups, and then you need other communication skills for other groups. For instance, the way I talk with faculty might be a little different than the way I talk with my colleagues.
0: Can you tell us what you think has been the biggest aha of your career?
1: I'm not sure there's been one big aha in my career, but I can tell you that when I became a CBO 20 years ago, through a series of projects, I realized that there's not a whole lot of recognition for these jobs. So we can do a really great job at a project. It can be very complicated. It can be very difficult. And at the end, we feel good about the the, the outcome. But it's not something that you're going to be really have a lot of recognition from others about. And I'll give you some examples You know, a lot of our role tends to be centered around trying to keep tuition low so that our families can afford it. But that means keeping our staffing as low as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. So that means sometimes layoffs. It means outsourcing. It means changing people's jobs around. And that's often not popular. So we have to learn as CBOs how to recognize that we've done a good job on our own and kind of give ourselves a, a a pat on the back because often you're not going to get that from the outside world
0: well and i would imagine as as a leader of your department you you need to do that for your staff as well so can you talk a little bit about that
1: you absolutely have to be the cheerleader for the staff because for instance oftentimes the human resources um professional is the one who takes the brunt of layoff right so if you work directly with that individual you need to be sure that you recognize the effort so that they don't feel like they've done a really good job and then everybody's sort of angry at them for it (laughs) (laughs) and now is that something you do privately or publicly both I think you should do both um, you have to be careful publicly if there is a layoff or an outsourcing.
0: Great job, HR. <laughs> yeah.
1: Thanks so much for laying 20 people off. But yeah. um, there are ways, particularly when the leaders in my area are recognized professionally, like I had just one uh, yesterday was quoted in U.S. News. Those okay. are the things that you can really applaud professionally. Um, um, very publicly. And that makes everyone feel better about their jobs, I think.
0: In your tenure, can you think of a pivotal moment that you view as having fundamentally changed what it meant to be a CBO?
1: You know, Megan, I don't know that there's a moment. So I'm going to take, you know, do what all the political candidates... <laughs> You're going to pivot. ...a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Please. I'm, I'm ready for these debates tonight. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to play a political candidate on you and talk about an uh, kind of an event that I think altered the way we do our jobs, and that's technology. So mm. when I started 30 years ago, we did not have email. And I can't tell you how email, I think, has changed the whole landscape of everyone's job, not just in higher ed, Sure, the opportunities it's presented, and some of the challenges. Like, I think it's really easy, easy to be misunderstood in an email, where as a face-to-face, you have, you can read body language and know if you're, you know, hitting, a, hitting the mark or not. And technology's really changed the way we manage everything. So, you know, it's from very different accounting records now than we had, very different ways of even the the way we manage our heating and air conditioning here is all with technology. So, you know, from the time I started in higher ed in 85, that's really been the biggest change.
0: And is there anything that you do specifically to kind of keep up with technology that it sounds like there's so many aspects of your job that touch technology that on a very logistical basis, it would be impossible to keep up with. But but is there anything generally that you feel that you do to kind of keep apprised or at least be open to technology and technological advances?
1: Well, I'm lucky that our chief information officer reports to me. So in his uh, weekly meetings with me, he often keeps me abreast of different aspects of technology and Mm. he's smart enough to talk to me. So I understand it. Um, And Because often with acronyms and all, we don't understand it. But I think it takes a really good CIO to be able to put it in layman's terms.
0: Absolutely. So he
1: keeps me up. And if he didn't report to me, because I know many CIOs report either to the provost or maybe even the president, I think it would behoove CBOs to take the time to meet with them periodically and let them help you up the learning curve on the new
0: IT strategies. Speaking of colleagues that influence you, can you talk a little bit about throughout your career who served as a professional mentor to you?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, my very first one was the accounting professor who hired me at my first CBO CBO role. (laughs) Uh, She uh became a cbo and then served i believe 3 institutions she's now retired but she was my really my first mentor and my probably my strongest but you know s- somewhere along the line we all have to have a president who's willing to take a chance on not hiring a sitting vp So the president who hired me into my first CBO role had to take a chance that I could learn physical plant and IT and human resources, and she really served as a great mentor to me as well. But as I mentioned with our CIO and the other colleagues that I work with directly, every one of them are really mentors to me, and I hope I'm sort of a mentor to them as well, because they teach me their field, they make me look good, they work as a team, and so I really view them as mentors as well.
0: So flipping that around just a little bit, have you served as mentors to others?
1: I have, and it's a role I really enjoy. Um, I've done it, you know, in very um, organized ways. I have one gentleman that I've worked with who um, asked me formally to be his mentor, Mm. and then he visited Furman uh, for a week, and he and I met together for a couple of days and he kind of followed me around. And then the last three days, I kind of backed out and let him be a CBO for a few days and deal with the issues that came to me and sit in for me at meetings and those kind of things. So that was a very formal mentorship. And then there are so many informal ones where, you know, you just have someone ask you, can you help me figure out how to get to the next uh, step in my career? Or can you help me with this interview? Can you help me um, interview for this position and ask the right questions and those kind of things. But really, it's one of the things that keep me going. Um, I really enjoy helping young professionals up the ladder.
0: That first gentleman that you said had the more formal mentorship, what stage of career was he in? He was about mid-level. Got it. And would you recommend one over the other? Somebody reaching out to, to, to CBOs? in a formal way you know I kind of
1: like the informal Um, it's it tends to be a little bit more comfortable for me but I'm really fine either way
0: and when when you're looking for people that sort of catch your attention as a young professional that you feel could use some additional support or could use some guidance or that you might have something to share with them that they would really take in what are those characteristics that you see in those younger professionals that really spark your interest
1: you know, they've got to be eager and you can almost tell the first conversation you have with them that they're eager to make a make a difference in higher ed. And if there's something about their eye. There's something about the, you know, the um, just the way they speak and their energy and those kind of things. And then I always like to hear someone who wants to do it for other reasons other than just I want to earn more. Mm. Um you know the the plant side of the the equation really interests me, or uh, I would love to be able to shape a small institution, help with tuition policy, help keep it affordable so that it can be viable into the into the future and those kind of things. So I think it's a, a it's a need to be broader and also that eagerness to do something for the higher education. Um,
0: Industry, Mary Lou, What would you say is the biggest challenge facing all CBOs today?
1: You know, Megan, I think it's keeping our costs down so that tuition can stay affordable, um, and that that is so broad. I know because there are so many ways to do that. You can't, as as my um, as one of my mentors said, you can't cut your set cut your way to excellence. So it's mm-hmm. not all about cutting costs, but it's about Um, diversifying our revenue streams, making sure that we're offering our educational program in the most efficient manner that still makes sense from a quality standpoint for our students and faculty. Um, It's very, very broad. But, you know, you read a lot about our costs in the paper. Um, Lots of times that's sticker price, not net price, and there's a huge difference there. So I think there's an education piece there as well. But I think we just have a have a mission to keep our education at the highest level and to do that as efficiently as we possibly can. And that's a huge challenge right now.
0: What would you say is the thing about your job currently that you enjoy the most? You know, I think it's working with my staff,
1: honestly. I often tell them, "Okay, if I could could pick you up and put you in any city in this country and you all could manage it because they have they, <laughs> they have every, every expertise they have finance they have facilities they have grounds and, they have grounds they have it they have human resources i have retail folks that run the bookstore i have chefs i have a golf course we have a golf course here so we run wow. a golf course so you know i just love the fact that when we get together our our knowledge is so different but we work together so well as a team, and, and that's what I really love.
0: What What do you do to foster that sense of camaraderie among your team and to ensure that you stay a solid team? You know, we do a number of
1: things. I, I tend to think that we need to do some recreational things together. So two or three times a year, we try to do some fun things. We try to do some service projects together out in the community. Um, but mainly, you know, having that diverse group different things mean different things to them so you know going bowling might mean a lot to one of them but having a very serious staff meeting and coming up with the answer to a to a very difficult project means a lot to others so i try to figure out what they like to do individually and how they like to function as a team and then i try to design activities in our work the way we work around around those personalities.
0: Sounds like a great team. It is a
1: great team. I'm blessed, have been blessed at all three institutions.
0: What are you doing now in your current role that you never imagined you'd be doing 10 years ago? Well, Megan, um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not sure I ever knew that I would manage a columbarium, quite frankly, <laughs> which is one thing I've done. I, I had no idea I would ever manage a golf course. I once managed in my prior role a farm. Wow. So, Again, our jobs are becoming more entrepreneurial Mm. as we try to diversify our revenue streams. And the other thing is we're involved all over the institution now. You know, it might be that we could just do our finance plans sort of in a silo 20 years ago. But now we're involved in, we being the CBOs, are involved in every aspect of the institution. One in particular is enrollment management. So I can't tell you how much time I spend with our our vice president for enrollment management talking about the number of students we need to bring in, the discount rate we can afford, the tuition that we can afford to charge and those kind of things. So, you know, it's just that we've gotten certainly um, involved in more things across the campus than we would have been many years ago. And we're also very involved in sustainable building practices and business practices, mm-hmm. um, you know, over the past 20 years, that's grown in importance. And and that's a wonderful thing for, you know, the whole, the whole country.
0: With all of these variety of, of tasks and trends that you need to keep apprised of, are there things that you read on a daily basis to kind of keep yourself up to speed on what's happening, whether it's around town or... Around the country or around the world? Are there, are there pieces of your media mix that you feel important that you turn to every day or on a more regular basis?
1: You know, I read The Chronicle and Inside Higher Ed, of course. Mm-hmm. I do read the Nakubo Business Officer every month, um, local papers, um, the AGB publications I read pretty
0: readily, and, you know, Facebook. Wow. What <laughs> are you getting from Facebook outside? Is that just a personal? Or is there a professional piece there, too? You
1: know, a lot of my colleagues, because I've moved around, post things about their institutions on Facebook, Hmm. articles that have been published in maybe local papers in another city or whatnot. So you'd be surprised at the things that people post about their institutions. A lot of people post the rankings on Facebook. And sometimes I'll see them there before I hear them from our own marketing and PR office. So, uh,
0: it's it's an interest, I hardly ever post on Facebook, but I stalk it, you know, (laughs) you're a lurker. I understand. I'm a lurker. And is this, it's not a Facebook group, just to clarify, this is just your personal network.
1: You know, through the years we've just become friends on Facebook and I'm friends with folks at the prior institutions and then, um, then at our peer institutions. And lots of times they post articles about their institutions. And it might be there's a really cool project going on that I knew nothing about. So what a great resource. Did
0: you hear that, folks? Facebook, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share a moment of pride as you look back over your career? Are there things that stand out to you as, wow, we really did a great job? On that project.
1: Well, you know, the first thing you think of are some buildings that you've built that you're really proud of, and there's certainly some of those. But I think mostly overall, I'm so proud to think that through sometimes unrecognized efforts by my team, we've been able to keep college affordable for parents who generally couldn't have afforded it. Um, and we've been able to keep the campuses safe. And I know that alleviates a lot of worries for parents as they send their their children to school, especially in these days when we've had so many tragedies. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's basically those kind of things that make me proud.
0: Anything else you'd like to share today, Mary Lou, that I have neglected to ask that you feel is important to mention?
1: Yeah, the only thing I'll say is these really are great jobs. Um, I've enjoyed mine thoroughly. I know one of the sometimes people ask me, what would you have done if you hadn't done that? And I can't think of anything I would rather have done. And I worry that there are only 30% of us who are women, and I'd love for women to look at these roles because, believe it or not, I had my only son when I was 40, and I was already a CBO. It's a great job to have to manage career and family because a lot of your time is under your control. So I work a lot of hours, but when he was small, if I wanted to come home at 3 and stay with him until he went to bed and then come back to work, I was free to do that because I set my own schedule. Um, So... Would love to see more women in these roles.
0: What resources do you feel uh, exist currently to support women in the CBO role?
1: Yeah, the resources still aren't up to par in my opinion. I mean, child care is okay. We actually have a child care center here at Furman that I'm very proud of, but it's three to five year olds, so you're stuck sort of trying mm. to trying to find infant care. So I really don't think and I don't know about across the country, but I can maybe speak to Greenville, South Carolina, there still aren't enough good resources for working women here. But again, because CBOs have a decent income and control of their own schedules, they can get around maybe some of the shortcomings that are out there in society.
0: Excellent. And then any groups that you belong to that are specifically focused on women that you might recommend to a younger professional?
1: I'm heavily involved in the Southern Association of College and University Business Officers. And one of the initiatives this year is to sponsor more good programming for women and women's leadership uh, forums and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So if you can look in your regional association throughout the country, I think you'll find something. NACUBO is doing a great job right now with women leadership um, kind of training and and lots of opportunities to learn about how to to be a good CBO and have a family at the same time and, um, you know – uh, not ignore that career path.
0: Well, thank you so much, Mary Lou, for your time today and for sharing just a snapshot of your your career. It has been fascinating to get a glimpse into your own personal journey. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Megan. I really enjoyed it.
0: You can find out more about Mary Lou and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of Nakubo.org. Make sure you also subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes so you'll get the latest episodes. And on behalf of Mary Lou and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us of this episode of CBO Speaks.